Great. Thank you. Well, I'm feeling particularly blessed by um, what God is doing with us this morning because uh, the passage that we have this morning is, uh, is a tough one, is a challenging one. So we need God's help to get through it, to understand it, to wrestle with it, and to apply it with our lives. Um, so I'll just pray for that now. Heavenly Father, I thank you um, that you give us your word. Your word is life to us. Um, and as we delve into it now, Lord, would you um, speak to us deeply with ways in which you want us to step forwards, ways in which you want us to be strengthened, ways in which we can see that you are worth uh, everything that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Imagine a man has just found out that he has received a significant inheritance, billions and billions of pounds. But all he has to do is go and collect it. So it's his by right, it's his by name. It's certainly going to be his. He just has to go and collect it. He has to drive two hours to the city to go and claim it. And on his way, he's thinking about all the ways in which he can spend this new inheritance, this new money, all the things it can do for him. And he's counting the zeros, and he's thinking of all the jobs he can finally do to fix the house where he could even buy a completely new house. He can treat his family to that holiday that he's always promised them. But on the way, one mile out from the city, one mile out from his destination, the engine lights are flashing on his display, smoke is billowing from the bonnet of the car, and the car breaks down. He has to pull over, get out the car, leave it, and he has to walk the final mile of his journey. Just imagine if we saw him grumbling and complaining about that one mile that he now has to walk on his way to get his certain inheritance. What a fool we would think he was if we saw him complaining and groaning about the fact that he's got this hardship of walking one mile left to this certain great inheritance that he has, this, uh, this inheritance that is certainly his. Yes, it's going to be harder for him to walk that journey. Yes, it's going to be difficult. It's not what he planned, but he has a great reward at the end of it. And as Christians, we can be like this. We have a great, certain inheritance waiting for us. And we too are on the last leg of our journey. Okay, our car may have broken down and we face significant and real trials on a daily basis. But if we allow ourselves to be distracted by these difficult circumstances, it can kill our joy, it can stop us moving forwards, and it can stop us from reclaiming the freedom that we have in Christ. And as humanity, we know, deep down, we know that humanity is, is discontent. We struggle with feeling content for lasting happiness that goes on through the years. And we, even though we have developed in every area of life, we are unimaginably wealthier than we have ever been as a society, as a civilization. We live longer than we've ever lived before. We have found cures for some serious diseases. We have made significant advances in Uh, travel, communication, medicine and science. We have more leisure time than we ever had before. We have an entertainment industry that is worth billions and billions of pounds churning out amazing uh, entertainment. We can watch sport on a daily basis, which just inspires us, some of what these athletes are capable of doing. We have a history of art and culture and literature that we can just enjoy. And just think about technology. Just think about the smartphone, for instance. Last year, um, saw the 10-year anniversary of the iPhone. 
Now, the smartphone has enabled us to live unparalleled levels of convenience than we ever did before. In this one device, we can contact distant relatives, we can check uh, sports scores immediately, even we can even watch the sport on the screens on our phones, we can take photographs that are better than the cameras that uh, we had about 10 years ago, the small handheld cameras, we can look at the weather anywhere in the world, we can order a takeaway, we can order a whole grocery order, we can order furniture, we can control the television, we can watch a bewildering amount of films and TV on our phones, we can read any book that's ever been written on our phones, we can read the whole Bible on our phones. I could probably do my entire job on my phone, and we can do our online banking, we have access to unlimited amount of convenience and comfort this is, this is significant, what's happened in the last 10 years. But is anyone seriously arguing that we are more content than we've ever been, despite all these uh, steps forwards we've done in various other development, areas of development? And how we can be happy is one of the oldest questions that has plagued the human race. So the ancient and early uh, philosophers, the Eastern philosophers, they said the route to contentment was all about learning to find acceptance for what you had, for what was in your life. You've just got to learn to find acceptance for what you've got. Now skip forward a few thousand years to modern day uh, thoughts around what makes us happy, what makes us content. Well, there's two schools of thought that, that you might hear in the media today or you might read in books or you'd see on TV. One of them is do everything you can to change your life and then you'll find contentment. Change your job change your home, change your spouse if you need to, change your body if you want to, to find contentment. That's one school of thought that we have in modern life. The other is, don't bother. You can't attain it. Just be cynical, give up. There's no point in trying to find contentment. It doesn't exist. Now, the glorious truth of what Christianity is for us this morning is that it gives us the best of all three of those things. It teaches us how to accept hardship, Christianity gives us the right motivation to change when we, when we see that we need change. And it gives us the understanding that this world, nothing in this world, will ever truly satisfy us. C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest thinkers of the 20th century, uh, well known for authoring the Narnia books and for his Christian apologetics, he said that most people, if they really learn to look into their own hearts would know that they do want, and want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love, or first think of some foreign country, or first take up some subject that excites us, are longings which no marriage, no travel, and no learning can really satisfy. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a content man. He had discovered the secret of contentment. So if you'd like to turn to the passage that we're focusing on this morning in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, um, which is where we're up to in our sermon series about joy. So we know that Paul probably writes this letter to the church in Philippi from a place of prison, probably in the prison in Rome. And 
it's very, very likely that he has the possibility of execution looming over his head. So this is the context in which he writes these things. He says to the church in Philippi, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So we know that Paul... Um, the author of so much of the New Testament, when he became a Christian, he was so enraptured by the gospel that he dedicated his life to missionary journeys all around the Middle East and Asia, um, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, teaching people, planting churches, raising up leaders, moving on, coming back to visit them, encouraging them, moving on. He did a number of missionary journeys. And although he had um, his tent-making business, to subsidize these trips, he was still reliant upon the generosity of the churches that he invested in and that he planted. He was somewhat reliant on them. And the church in Philippi had just shown them, just shown him some um, financial support to keep him going. And he wants them to know, he is, goes to a pains to know that while he is grateful for their gift, he's not desperate for it. It doesn't define his joy, it doesn't define his sense of well-being. And what we see in Paul's life, written large, all over everything he did, that there is no circumstance too much for Paul's God. And therefore, no circumstance could ever beat him. No circumstance was too much for, Paul, for Paul's God, and therefore no circumstance could ever beat him. So God gave the strength for Paul to be brought low, he says. But God can do that for us today. So Paul is not this special, amazing uh, super Christian. In fact, there were, he had significant weaknesses. People who met him in person uh, commented on how he wasn't very impressionable at first. And we too can access this same faith that Paul has in God, in Jesus. So God gives us the strength to be brought low. You, sitting here this morning, are either in a set of very difficult circumstances right now, or you're about to head into one. And Paul, his life is a testimony that he bounced from hardship to hardship to hardship. It just went on and on for him. So much so that he, his opponents even started to question whether or not he really truly was an apostle of Jesus Christ. How could a man who experiences such hardship, such enduring difficulty, be a, vo uh, a mouthpiece for God? How could he have any authority for God? How could this man be um, anointed by God? And this may be a question you yourself are asking this morning. Why do I suffer so much? Why is my life filled with so much difficulties? Why does it feel like everything is against me? Has God forgotten me? And Paul gives us two things um, to know for strength when you feel like you're being brought low. He gives us two things. One of those things is a knowledge of eternity. Now, in a passage defending his honor against these claims that, you know, he's not some great apostle because of all this hardship, he writes in 2 Corinthians 4, though our outer self is wasting away, 
Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. How often do you think about eternity? How often does just the the thought and the concept of eternity for living forever with God in heaven, with him, how often does that invade your everyday life? Paul wants us to reflect on it more than we do um, because it helps us endure difficult times and it's preparing you for an eternal glory. Now, as a family, we have just emerged from a very, very difficult period, probably the most difficult period of my life um, recently. We faced a, a daily impossible situation. It felt completely powerless that we could ever do anything to change our circumstances. And it felt like there really was no end in sight. It was so difficult, it felt like walking through treacle every day. And we just got absolutely desperate. And we got so desperate that we tried to fix things in our own strength. And whenever I did that, I made things worse. I tried to open doors, and God would keep them closed. But I remember some significant moments of spending time with God, getting away from, um, from those things, spending time with him, and he really um, spoke eternity to me and to my heart. And I remember having some, some amazing moments where I was just able to say, this will end. If it doesn't end now, in this life, in the next year or the next decade, it will end one day and I will spend eternity with you. And I emerged from those periods um, with a renewed strength, knowing that this momentary thing that I'm going through was light in comparison to the glory that awaited me in heaven. And looking back... Um, it's easy to see that God had something greater for us than the doors that we were trying to push open. Um, They were compromises on God's best for us, and we just had to be patient. Um, And when God put uh, eternity in the situation, it gave me the strength to be patient. It gave me the strength to be kind. It gave me the strength to be gracious, to be Christ-like. And the Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. There's something deep down within us. We know that this life is going to fade. It's not forever. There is something greater to look forward to. So we have a knowledge of the eternal. That gets us through being in situations where we're brought low. But he gives us a purpose, a divine purpose for these difficult situations. Because you and I, we need opposition. Okay, we need opposition. In the 1980s, the US government um, conducted uh, a significant experiment in the desert of Arizona. In an effort to keep up in the space race with the Russian government, they built this biodome, which you can see here. It's just a massive conservatory, but it was the perfect environment for nature and for thriving. And um, they sent in uh, a, a team of scientists to find out if it was going to be possible for us to send a colony of people to the moon or to another planet, to another place in space, and we could develop a civilization there. So this was an experiment to see, okay, if we send these scientists in, and they grow their own food, and they do their own recycling and their own refuse, and they deal with all of those things, can a civilization flourish uh, flourish in these circumstances? Um, It was the perfect environment for nature. But... 
It was a complete disaster. Um, Trees would grow fast, but they would never really mature. They would grow high quickly because of the environment, and then they would just topple over. The problem with that is that they needed some kind of resistance. Trees need wind. When trees encounter resistance, when they're left to the elements, um, their trunks grow stronger and their roots dig deeper. So when they grow in a place like this with no wind, they may grow quickly, but they don't have an establishment uh, to, to, to mature in and to deal with. And this is very much like what God does with us. He exposes us to strong winds, to, to difficult situations, to make us grow deeper roots in him. That's why Paul says it's preparing us for an eternal glory. So who doesn't want the perfect environment? Who doesn't want a life of luxury and ease and convenience? We, we, all, we all look for that. We work hard to avoid challenging situations. But life is fuller when we realize that God has given us a purpose for our trials, for our difficulties. And sometimes it's hard to discern why we go through difficulties. And I'm not going to give you any easy answers tonight. Sometimes it's a mystery, and it will remain a mystery for our entire lives. But it prepares us for an eternal glory. It does a good work in us in the meantime. Why? Because it shows you how deep your roots are, or what they're in. It exposes your trust and what you're putting your trust in. So in this, God has given us an amazing account of wisdom and love and literature and everything that we need for godly life and living. But sometimes God uses the conditions of our lives to really get our attention in a way that we might not otherwise. And he wants us to find out for ourselves, to come to the conclusions Are we putting our trust in God or are we putting it in something else? See, something else, if we put our trust in it, it will harm us. It will let us down because it's not God. It will make promises that it can't keep and it will be gone tomorrow. All these things that God isn't. God will never let you down. He always keeps his promises and he is with us forever. But as Paul says in this passage, God gives us strength to abound. Now that might seem a bit strange at first. Why could I possibly need strength to abound? That's easy, isn't it? You just, you just sit back, relax, put your feet up, let the good life come, and that's it. It's easy, isn't it? But Paul was very aware about the danger of money, the danger of comfort, the danger of convenience. Um, and in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, He says, the love of money is the root of all evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So money has the power to completely destroy our lives if we allow it to. And recent history is full of stories of lottery winners who made it big, but then their lives were just completely destroyed as a result. And there's a story of a man in West Virginia in 2002 He won a fortune of $300 million. And in an interview with Time magazine, he said, I wish I had torn the ticket up. Because since winning, his daughter and his granddaughter both died due to drug overdoses. He was robbed of half a million of that uh, winnings. And he says, I just don't like myself anymore. 
I don't like the hard heart I've got. I don't like what I've become. Jim Carrey, the famous comedian and actor, said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they dreamed of so they can see that it is not the answer. So money has great power to destroy our lives, but money also has the power to put us to sleep as Christians. And Paul knew that. So not everyone who gets rich or has convenient lives or has significant wealth shipwrecks their faith, but some of us succumb to a slow, gradual fading out. See, money can rock us to sleep. And we have to fight hard to keep the flame alive. And this is something that St. Augustine knew. St. Augustine was a 5th century theologian, um, so just 500 years after Jesus. Um, He got this, and his teaching uh, is foundational for some of Western civilization understanding about philosophy and some of the inspiration for church theologians today keep turning back to St. Augustine because of how influential he was. And one of the things he said that has inspired us is that there is something that is better than all things. That there is a supreme good, and that is God. God is supremely good. He's better than everything else. And there is a value structure in the universe in such a way that there is an order that flows from God. And in response to this, there should be an order in which we prioritize the amount of affection that we put on things, the amount of love and devotion that we give to certain things. First of all, to God. Second of all, to everything else. And when we put things in the wrong order, that's when things start to go wrong in our lives. And it helps us to steward the, God, the gifts that God has given us. If we've been blessed with money, then it helps us to steward them. It helps us to put them in their proper place. If we've been blessed with an amazing amount of time in our lives, amazing amount of health, amazing energy, it helps us to steward those things properly and recognize them as gifts of God. So as an example, it's fine to love your job. It's good. It's your source of money. But not more than your family. Otherwise, you might come to ruin your family. It's fine to love food. Food's great, it's a gift, but not more than your health. Otherwise, you might ruin your body. It's fine to love holidays, but not more than your daily life. Otherwise, you might come to resent it. It's fine to love your family and friends. There's some of the richest gifts that God gives us, but not more than Jesus. Otherwise, you might be destroyed by their rejection. It's fine to enjoy money as the gift it is, but not more than Jesus. Otherwise, it will cause us to compromise in many ways. So the, solution, so the solution for Christians, for us, as those who have been saved in Jesus, is not to hate the things that God gives us, not to hate the good gifts that he blesses us with, but to love God more. So we defeat the temptation to put too much in those things by loving God more. And it's what Tim Keller says, who's... Um, who's a prominent theologian today, he says, don't love anything less. Instead, learn to love God more. And you will love other things with far more satisfaction. You won't overprotect them, and you won't overexpect things from them. You won't be constantly furious with them for not being what you hoped. So don't stifle passionate love for anything. Rather, redirect your greatest love toward God by loving him with your whole heart and loving him for himself, not just for what he can give you. Then and only then does contentment start to come. Now Paul is telling us that he has learnt 
the secret of contentment. If I could ask the band to come back now, please. He has learned the secret of contentment, that whenever he has abundance or need, he is content. And Paul says to us, the secret is simple. Trust in God in such a way that you can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Imagine being able to say the very same thing that Paul is saying. When we look at his life, he was imprisoned. He faced beatings to the point of near death. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked three times. I mean, after the first shipwrecking, you might think, okay, this just isn't the vocation for me. I'm going to stop now. But three times he was shipwrecked. He was adrift at sea for a whole day. When he made it to land, a snake bit him. He faced 40 lashings. He traveled dangerous rivers. He was, at, he was constantly at risk from robbers. He faced sleepless nights, and he went for long periods without food. And yet he is able to say, I am content in Jesus. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. How can he say these things? It's because he knew that he was truly rich in Jesus. Okay? He had true riches. He had real riches. He had lasting riches in Jesus Christ. He was able to say, I have everything I need. Everything. In whatever situation I'm in, I have everything I need, and anything else, that's a bonus. I have everything I need in Jesus Christ. And what Jesus purchased for us on the cross was eternal security. This is how we are rich in Jesus. We have eternal security. Not the kind of security that we have now that can be gone tomorrow. Not kind of a fake security, but real, true security. We have the assurance of salvation. We can never lose our salvation. We are rich in that way. We have the gift of righteousness. When God looks at us, he looks at us with the same affection that he has of his own son, Jesus Christ. That is the gift of righteousness that you have this morning. The gift of being called sons and daughters of God. We are rich in that we, are, we have intimacy with the good God who created the universe and sustain, sustains us day by day. We have the love of the Father that nothing can separate us from. The trials that you've experienced this morning, your money troubles, your anxieties about all sorts of different things, none of those things can separate you from the love of God. You have instant access to him through prayer. Instant access. Whenever you feel in trouble, whenever you feel a moment of anxiety, you have instant access to God. That makes us rich. We have an inheritance that won't fade. We have the promise of new bodies and a new heaven. There will be no more struggle, no more tears, no more pain when we get to heaven. We have a new family here today with us, brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit given to us as a deposit. And he leads us towards Jesus. He reminds us that we are children of God. He shows us Jesus in his word. And we have the very words of wisdom. What a great gift this is. We are so rich to have these words, to have the Bible. We are truly rich in Christ. And when we draw our strength from these things, then it looks like contentment. That's when we're truly content. We can live life untroubled, not distracted, at ease. And we can live knowing that our circumstances will never dictate our joy. And Steve Lawson, in his um, commentary on the book of Philippians, says that Paul's God is our God. 
So when we lack the contentment that Paul enjoyed and exemplified, it's not because we don't have what we need, it's because our eyes are on the wrong place. They're upon our circumstances instead of upon our saviour. So whether you feel like you have or you don't this morning, whether you are comfortable or uncomfortable, we all face the same challenge as Christians. We face the challenge and the danger of trusting in our circumstances to save us. But only Jesus Christ saves. So the question I want to leave you with this morning is where is your treasure at the moment? What are you putting your trust in? What are you putting your hope in? Is it your circumstances or is it Jesus? And how is it affecting your relationships? How is it affecting the way you use your time? How is it affecting your mental well-being? How is it affecting the things you spend your money on, the things you invest in? How is it affecting your walk with God? Are you growing bitter and resentful? Or are you growing gentle and more patient and more Christ-like? Are you content this morning? You may remember the story I told at the start of the man on his way to collect his inheritance. His car breaks down a mile out from the city. Are you feeling like your car has broken down a mile out from the city this morning? Are you very aware of the inconvenience and the trouble that you have in front of you? Well, take heart, Christian, because you are on the final leg of your journey today. And your, these circumstances, though they may seem bizarre, they have a real purpose for you. If you're feeling overwhelmed this morning by these things, God sees your life. He knows it better than you do. Come and get prayer this morning. Come and get refilled with the Holy Spirit to get that supernatural strength that you need to face those challenges. Maybe your car's running just fine this morning. Maybe you're going to cruise to the end. Good. Thank God for it. It's a gift from him, and it's taking you where you need to go. But it's not your treasure. It's not designed to be your treasure. Jesus is, and one day it will fail you. Are you feeling a bit flat? This morning, are you feeling actually my life's a little bit too comfortable at the moment? Well, these things that we've got, the blessings that we get from God, they're just they're gifts. They're not meant to satisfy us forever. Only Jesus Christ satisfies us forever. I would invite you to come forward for prayer this morning. Come and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to put His finger on areas of your life where you're not trusting in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you give us the great gift of salvation, that on your cross you died to give us life and life in abundance. Lord, we want to access that this morning. I thank you for what you've been doing this morning through a period of worship. Lord, help us to respond to your gentle call to put everything we have in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.